SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Just I'm really into pirate music right now. I heard about this. Yeah. What the hell? What's your tagline? Rolling, 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 rolling. What? Rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> Come on. Is that a pirate song? That's a uh, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Schultz is also here. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? What's your tagline? Dangerously cheesy. Mm. Oh. And now it's Sari also is, is in the room. Sari Riley. I am. Sari, what's your tagline? Bready or not. Oh, boy. <laughs> so much enthusiasm. You can't just say that. <laughs> and my name is Hank Green, and my tagline is Checkerboard Volvo. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up a maze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also keeping score and awarding Hank bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic. But if you go off on a tangent, 
We will decide if your tangent is worthy, and if it's unworthy, we'll dock you a buck. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week from Sam. Walking around all damn day has begun to bore me. What's this? A beast with hooved legs? He'll do the walking for me. Ooh. <laughs> I love my horse, I really do, but riding him's a pain. I think it's high time I invented a thing I call the train. Ooh, chugga chugga. <laughs> This train is freaking loud and slow. Something better, by far, would be to ride alone and quick in something called a car. (laughs) This car is fine, but it has a flaw. It cannot cross an ocean. To fly across it like a bird. Hmm, a plane. That is my notion. Okay, I was like, where are we going? (laughs) (laughs) To travel Earth is child's play. We zip both to and fro. But other worlds, now that's a feat. Board my spacecraft and off we go. Uh, lift off! <laughs> Didn't even think about spacecraft for this. They go. And they you travel. Go in them. Mm-hmm. You get in them and they go. Because our topic this week is transportation. What's transportation? It's going places. Yeah. It's So this is one of those words where we get to define it however we want. Uh-huh. The science couch mm. says going places or moving things <laughs> from place to place. Right. It doesn't have to be you going places. It can be things going places. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just going places. Uh, well, I think we're well and truly satisfied with our definition, and I we need to move really away from our gaze. Skirted that definition, but I think it was very sciencey. <laughs> going going places. places, and now it's time for because Devin has brought us three science facts, but two of them are fake lies, dirty fake lies, and mm-hmm. tried to not put them in your head as truths. It's an apt description. Which sometimes happens to me, like a week later, I'll be like, that thing, oh right, that was a fake <laughs> fact. Uh, so we have to choose which one of those facts is real, and if we get it right, we get a buck. If not, Stefan gets the buck. Hit me! Okay, which of these is a way that we could potentially reduce disease transmission on airplanes? Number one, mm-hmm. reducing the amount of fiber in the provided meals and eliminating carbonated beverages to drastically reduce the amount of flatulence inside the cabin of the plane. Ooh, I like the idea of drastically reducing the amount of flatulence. I don't know that it would affect disease, but I am pro <laughs> less farts. Number two. Switch to using fewer boarding zones to load passengers onto the plane or even completely random boarding to reduce the amount of people an infected person would potentially expose. Mm. Or number three, include disposable tray table covers that are switched between every flight since extensive sampling throughout the cabin revealed that tray tables contain the most fecal coliform bacteria of any part of the plane, even more than samples taken from the lavatories. I hate the words fecal coliform. (laughs) It makes me think of fecal cauliflower. I know. Uh. I always picture that microbe as being cauliflower shaped, which makes it worse. High surface area on the cauliflower. (laughs) That's why it's so good for cheese. So we have our three facts. One, reducing fiber to have less farts. Two, eliminate boarding groups or have none so there's less interaction between individual people. Or three, disposable tray covers so that you don't have poop germs on you. Do farts have lots of germs in them? Not really. Okay. Like, I think that, like, the process of passing through your clothes would scrub any potential stuff. Right. It seems like it would be a big problem. Like, people fart farting all the time. People are far right. And like we're sneezing, but we don't have like two layers of fabric between our sneeze and the world. Right. And maybe if our sneezes smelled like farts, people would be more careful about them. 
That's an excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> People right. should be embarrassed to sneeze. Should no, be embarrassed they to... shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't be embarrassed to fart either. You should be it embarrassed is. not to wash your hands, though. Yes, mm. so I many agree. people mm. don't do that. I feel mm. like even more people don't wash their hands after the bathroom than don't cover their mouth when they sneeze. I think you're probably right. I which agree. is nuts. It's so weird. Like, I could see those people... If no one else is in the bathroom, just being like, whatever, no one's going to know. But they do it when you're you're there. I see you do it. I'm watching you walk out the door. I have read that the the dirtiest part of the plane is the little knob that you turn to bring the tray table down. Because everybody touches it. Yeah, you have to. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing you should least touch on the plane. But that might mean the covers would be pointless. Well, well, because I have read about this and, and it makes me think that potentially it's either a real thing or Stefan used this as the basis of yep, a fake fact. That's what I think now, too. The farting also sounds like something that could be real, too, but maybe just to decrease farting. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not mm. about, like, like the health consequences, but, like, people would be happier on planes if there was right. less farts. Or it's just, like, from a travel article, it's a hot tip on how not to fart as much in a plane. Right. I've laid some stinkers on a plane. I, I don't ever <laughs> fart except when I get on a plane. <laughs> the, the pressure changes and it's just like, whack! Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. I fart about the same. Yeah, yeah I, I think about like. the same. I don't yeah. think that... Yeah, no, it's, I, I think about the same too. It's just that like it hangs around more and there's a lot more people close by and I can't get away from them. <laughs> yeah, you gotta like partition a little bit, like just let a little bit out at a time. Right, yeah. Or you gotta be like, hello, if everyone around me me. Wants to move to the back of the plane. <laughs> I'm gonna lay a stinker. Or they could all fart at the same time. And Everybody fucking <laughs> three, two, one. <laughs> so, uh, what was the second one? This one seems like I don't understand why it would work. Eliminate boarding groups or make them uh, boarding random so people interact less. Sounds like a Stefan idea to me. <laughs> Sounds like a Stefan idea. Or an article that Stefan would read uh-huh. and no one else would. Yeah. And he would have this conclusion in like it. Like he's already yeah. read it before this episode. Even. Yeah. yeah. It was like something about efficiency, but also there was a subclause in there. It's like, it doesn't transmit disease or like this could help with uh-huh. disease prevention. If you eliminate boarding groups, everybody goes on together. I don't know. Do you Do you interact with fewer people that way? Maybe. The people getting on last wouldn't, would they? Well, oh. I guess if there so if there's like a sick person who gets on first and like row one, mm-hmm. then like everybody has to walk past that person. Mm-hmm. Right. Is eliminating boarding groups saying that we just board like back to front? It's using fewer boarding groups or random loading. Huh. Okay. I'm going to go with that one because it seems like there must be more to it that yeah. they'll tell us about. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm also going to go with that one because I feel <gasps> oh, similarly. I was going to go with that one too, but now I feel oh, like no. I'm not going to go with that one. <laughs> I'm going to go with disposable tray covers. It, it was the boarding zone. No! Yeah. Oh, God, I could have <laughs> it. Yes, I have in the past <laughs> looked at uh, <laughs> videos and studies of people who look at like the fastest way to board. Sure. But these people wanted to figure out if different boarding strategies could influence disease transmission. And so they were simulating like based on the probabilities of transmitting Ebola. Uh, so they just ran a bunch of simulations. Like if one of the passengers on the plane had right. Ebola and like how many new people, people would, would they, catch it. Yeah. And they looked at boarding and deplaning, but it turned out that deplaning is already like all the methods perform about the same and it's already mm-hmm. pretty efficient in terms of speed and for disease transmission. But the boarding styles that have more groups 
mean that the people that are in line around you are more likely to be sitting near you, and it leads to more clustering in the aisle. Yeah. Whereas if you have random boarding and, like, the two people in the front of the line are sitting at the front and the back of the plane, like, that creates a big gap Right, where the first person sitting down and the other person just kind of walks off, and so there's less clustering, which ultimately exposes less people okay. to the whoever the infected person is. But the way that most airlines do it now, with the three groups where they board like first class and then middle and then back, it's not the worst case. But like, chances are good that if you're in first class, you're going to have the infected person walk past you, and like, mm-hmm. that's the the main thing that happens. With the clustering, is that big groups of people end up clustering together more. I'm glad they checked. Uh, has anybody proposed less fiber and carbonated beverages on planes? Uh, no. So there was a random news article that seemed fake because it seemed so dumb. Like they basically said, like, you should fart as much as possible because the discomfort (laughs) and like health issues caused by holding the farts are worse. Um, well, I'm I'm right people. on board with that. <laughs> I don't I don't hold my fart in. I'm sorry. I love you. I love all of my fellow members of society, but I just can't do it. It hurts. They also said if the pilot restrains a fart, all the drawbacks previously mentioned, including diminished concentration, may affect his abilities to control the plane. What? <laughs> Which is why yeah. I think this yeah. sounds fake. Yeah. But like, I guess. And pilots shouldn't have to worry about their farts. Like. It's the co-pilot is the only person who's going to have to smell it directly, and then it'll get filtered through the rest <laughs> right. of the plane. Well, and that's the thing. Like, a co-pilot and a pilot should have should be on farting terms. I think yeah. that's true, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, should I not touch my tray table? <laughs> you were also correct in that there was a study about, like, the dirtiest parts of the plane, and the tray yeah. table had the most germs. But none of the samples, even the ones from the lavatories, had fecal coliform. Oh, okay. Excellent and, like, news. Put it in your brains, people. No fecal <laughs> no cauliflowers fecal. all on the plane. Is that yeah. an extra bad one? It is bad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's like E. coli and, and ah. other things like that. Yeah. So even though the tray tables had the most by far, like, eh, no word on whether it's like more dangerous because of that. It just has more. But everything has bacteria. Everything's got, everything's got bacteria on it. And don't. Fart on your friend's face. Don't like pillow. wipe the tray table directly onto your eye. <laughs> Don't prep raw chicken on your tray table. <laughs> <laughs> and wash your hands, for yeah. God's sake. Please, yeah. please. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break now, and then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor. 
whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all, all that's building up around you. Oh, this is like terrifying. I'm so, yeah. I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right. Factor ad. I don't, I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> Oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from, flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Hello, and welcome back. We got Sari with one point, Sam with two points, Stefan with one point, and I'm Ugh. in the back with zero. I'm not doing good. Which I guess means it's time for the fact off, in which I will get a chance to get a point. Maybe. Maybe two. Maybe two. So two of us, and it's me and Sari, which is terrible news for me, oh, yeah. okay. have brought science facts <laughs> for the others in an attempt to blow your minds. And if we don't blow your minds then you could just throw your bucks away. But you pick the one that blows your mind more, and then you give that buck to the person. And the person who's going to go first is the person who transported themselves the furthest today. You two live generally in the same area. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it turns out that we live close to each other. Mm -hmm. So, but, but I drove slightly farther you to did. get to work. Possibly because you took a not a bad way. Particularly efficient route. No, there's less traffic yeah. on oh, yeah. the route that I take. Okay. Driving experience is of utmost importance. Mm -hmm. So Sari traveled farther today, so Sari goes first. So I'm personally not a big fan of heights, so one of the scariest forms of transportation is the chairlift. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'd agree with that. Like I a like ski lift? Yeah. Like a ski lift, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And I they're agree. a very weird human thing if you think about it, because skiing is recreation, and to do it, you have to get yourself up a mountain so that you can go down that mountain over and over and over again. Yeah. And you could do that by hiking, but we wanted faster oh, no. and simpler transportation. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't want to hike the up there. The fun part is going down. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to focus on North America, uh, because Europe is a whole separate engineering thing, and they have mountains. Uh, we also have mountains. Europe is separate. 
Um, but the first things North America used as ski lifts were detachable ore buckets that people used to get to the tops of abandoned oh. mines to ski down. So they would hop in ore buckets. Oh, like the sure. buckets the ore went in. Yes, like rocks. <laughs> and then not much else happened in ski technology before compact motors and the 1932 to 33 ski season when the first rope tow was implemented yeah. where people had to hold on to a waist-high rope, hold Those it off still the ground. Exists. Yep, and get dragged oh. up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Very uncomfortable. As early as 1933 to 34, engineers came up with an overhead wire loop and something called a J-bar, which is what it sounds like, a J-shaped bar that's suspended from the wire where the bottom part of the J pushed you forward by the butt. And you kept your skis on the ground. Yep, you kept your skis on the ground. So like a rope toe, but you're pushed forward by your butt instead of grabbing onto a rope. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then in 1936 to 37, don't know why it took two years, they invented the T-bar. Uh, which doubled the amount of passengers that could be pushed oh. up the mountain by the J-bar. <laughs> okay, good. But that was bad if you were different heights or if there was only one person and potential dangers were like splinters in your butt oh. or hanging on the bar for dear life if you oh. like slip yeah, a little bit. Slip, yeah. yeah, I was imagining that this bar was not made of wood, but okay, <laughs> yeah. now I'm not anymore. To make it cheap, I think sometimes it was made of wood. Sure. Oh. But the invention that I would like to talk about happened in the 1936 to 37 ski season as well. And it was special because one engineer had a different idea from all these shenanigans. James Curran previously worked as an engineer for United Fruit and designed a system with a continuous overhead cable loop and traveling hooks to haul bananas from a loading dock to a cargo ship without dragging them or bruising them or anything. And he was like, what if instead of hooks, there were chairs and instead of bananas, there were people and we whisked them off the rocky, rough, snowy terrain up the mountain. And then the chairlift was born and it could carry up about 250 skiers per hour and was mostly used in fancy resorts, but widespread across the country. And by 1955, there were 41 chairlifts in North America and 62 T-bars, J-bars, Pama lifts, which are like poles that you straddled and rode up. Oh, we didn't like those because we didn't think they were very puritanical. It was very scandalous. <laughs> right, to put them in the, of the pant of the legs. Yeah. So the chairlifts like became competition for all the other types of lifts. And the moral of the story is skiers are basically bananas. So, skiers are yeah. bananas. so the banana guy made the first chairlift? Yeah. For bananas. Well, no, but he also made the first one for people, for people yes. too. He did not get very much recognition for this. So there was a ski resort that the co-owner of the Union Pacific Railroad developed in Sun Valley, Idaho. And then he hired a team of engineers to be like, what lift should I use mm-hmm. for these fancy people that are going to come to my fancy tall mountains? Who don't want to put something in between their legs. Yeah. <laughs> They don't want to be pushed by their butts or put something between their legs. Uh, What else do we got? We can't have wood touching butts. (laughs) (laughs) And then a bunch of engineers came up with different solutions. And some of them were like, J-lifts, you know, they're like the best. They're the standard. Pushing the butts is the standard right now. And then this guy was like, I had this thing with bananas. And... I think it's going to be a good idea. And then it took an Olympian skier, Charlie Proctor, who was the ski expert hired onto this team, who uh-huh. advised this rich guy that it was the best design. Because it was like, yeah, look at the comforting chair that could ferry me up the mountain. Right. So you didn't get credit because it was the rich guy just like, look what I made. I mean, I think he didn't get credit because there were so many ski transport inventions coming out all at once, like mm-hmm. with all these J bars and T bars and there were other things. People tried to copy Europe and make full on trams, like right. big containers to carry people up did. or funiculars. It's like a cart that is paired up with another cart. And as one ascends, the other descends. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you have two going back and forth, but those would bring people up the mountain more slowly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so 
chairlifts became. And this is America. We need to be up that mountain now. Yeah. <laughs> we need as many people up that mountain so they can go right back down it. Yeah. Very fast. And we can take all of their money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So banana people and time for my fact. Airplanes. I didn't actually know this before researching it, but like, obviously I did know that airplanes are pressurized. Mm -hmm. So you have to keep them pressurized when they're up in the air. And I always just had it in my head that they did this by being like perfectly sealed. It turns out that they actually continuously repressurize themselves because some of the air escapes the airplane. So they have to keep compressing the, the air in the airplane. And that's good that we can do that because otherwise you would fall unconscious and die. Cabins these days are pressurized by the plane's engines and they're cooled using a refrigeration system. But before that happened, some pilots wanted to get up higher and higher because they wanted to fly faster in the early days of aviation because they were all pretty sure that there was a jet stream up there that would make it so that they could fly faster and so they could like beat a bunch of records and go around the whole earth by themselves and like basically there was this sort of escalation of dudes mostly dudes trying to like get the next record Mm -hmm. so there's a guy wiley post and he was famous for making the first solo flight around the world and he wanted to see if he could get his plane above thirty thousand feet where he thought there would be those tailwinds to push him faster so he decided to get some help from the bf goodrich company and to develop a pressurized suit so sort of the first spacesuit, basically, that would use uh, an engine supercharger to compress the air that would inflate the suit. And his first attempt, it was made with two layers of rubberized parachute cloth glued together and included pigskin gloves, rubber boots, and a 3.5-pound aluminum helmet with a foam pad inside and a small door that he could eat through when the suit was unpressurized (laughs) because he needed to be up there for a long time. Uh He had this whole suit and then a piece of reinforcing tape came off during testing. The suit wouldn't hold pressure. It was also hard for him to move his arms, so that wasn't great. During the testing of suit number two, he got stuck in the suit and actually had to be cut out of it. And then for the uh, suit number three, his collaborator, Russell S. Coley, ended up going a different route. The suit had an inner rubber layer that held all the pressurized gas, and then an outer cloth layer that would hold that rubber suit in place. So it wasn't just this giant, who's that tire boy? Oh, Michelin 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 Man. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. The tire boy, the Michelin Man. He also decided to basically design the suit for sitting. So taking Post's measurements when he was in a seated position, they basically made it so that it was like just a a, a sitting suit. So in February of 1935, he attempted to take the suit and his plane on a record-breaking trip across the continent. But someone sabotaged the flight and the engine started to leak. Post had to emergency land, but he couldn't take the helmet off or the suit himself. So he emergency landed in this giant, weird spacesuit designed (laughs) for sitting down. He ran to a general store where the manager almost fainted when he saw him. But during his attempts, the suit did make it possible in these sort of tests for him to take the Winnie Mae up to the stratosphere, where he was able to fly about 100 mile an hour faster thanks to the jet stream that he and others had predicted. He did then later die in a plane accident. Mm, not surprising. Yeah. yeah. That's how spacesuits are made now, right? With like yeah. multiple layers mm-hmm. to protect. A bunch of layers. Mm-hmm. One of the layers is to hold the oxygen in, and one of the layers is to hold the suit in mm-hmm. so that you can like move a little bit and mm. not just be in this giant 
So when you want it to eat, bubble. what do you have to go down? You'd have to go down. Okay. If you're at 30,000 feet, you don't have enough oxygen. But if you're in the these sort of like interior space between low down and high altitude, then hmm. maybe you could last for a little while, have a sandwich, and he should have close had, it like, back a up. Peanut dispenser in there or something. Just like <gasps> peanut dispenser in there. Tongue. <laughs> some pez it's just cheese water on the other side <laughs> yeah cheese will be fine too just like a big long string cheese right and like tube through the whole suit that he could just like just oh, suck in slowly <laughs> yeah <laughs> I should have been I there that this idea. does not sound good <laughs> who sabotaged him I don't know I don't know that anybody knows who sabotaged him dude escalation Sam <laughs> yeah anyway you've got weird spacesuit man Dude escalation. <laughs> yeah, with some attempted murder thrown in. <laughs> and then you got banana people going to the top of mountains. Ugh, both cool early science history stories, which I'm a sucker for. I'm more of a sucker for bananas, though. I'm more of a sucker for flight. <gasps> so let's each give one to All right. each person. Let's do it. Okay, we each get a point. Woo! Which means it's time to ask the science couch. So we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific mind. At L... 417 asks, <laughs> what is the best solution to concentrated traffic in overpopulated cities? Do car plate number restrictions really help? Oh, so like overpopulated or overtrafficked enough, like London, where they're like, nope, you can't come into the city. Well, is that what they're or, talking about? I think what it or is. You just can't have a car. It's more like the watering restrictions that cities will have, where you can only drive your car if your license plate number has like an uh, even or odd number at some position oh. in the license plate. Is that what this is? Yeah, I think so. It's like a road rationing. Okay. Is, is what it's called. I did do some research on this one. And it's something that I couldn't find a lot of information about. But in Beijing, they had a red alert smog warning. During the very first day of this thing being instituted, there was a 30% reduction in pol- like emissions wow. that they measured. The air quality improved that much. That's so it's wild. like, I think it's good for emergencies, but I yeah. don't think it's so good permanently because ultimately like people do need to go places doing it every day might mean that like you create new problems right and like there is no mass transportation that can accommodate all these people like uh, at the drop of a hat because it just hasn't been Mm. built so you just need an odd buddy if you have an even license yeah i think that was the idea yeah you buddy up or you just get a second car if you're rich (laughs) yeah that's the solution that a bunch of urban planners are like not create more class differences because <laughs> mm-hmm. there are people that will buy two cars and they'll just right. buy like a cheap shitty car yeah. that has bad emissions but mm-hmm. oh uh, man and then you, you probably can't control the numbers so what you might have to buy like four or five cars <laughs> before you get like it, the you other get one bad luck you like get a personalized license plate that's just two <laughs> i don't care what it is it has to end in a two well then the other thing that uh, I was looking into a little bit is that like if you have higher standards of what kind of car people can drive, like if you say, oh, everybody can only drive electric cars now, mm-hmm. then you're like pricing a bunch of people out of being able to even participate mm-hmm. in right. the economy, basically, mm-hmm. if you don't build trains and stuff at the same time yeah. as that. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's we screwed true. ourselves. <laughs> Traffic is an economics problem, too. Yeah. So another thing to add to the Beijing fact, um, they also tried it during the Olympics. Oh. And they tried doing license plate restrictions then. And there was a study that was done that said by outline 50% of the traffic. The volume was only reduced by 20 to 40%. And the travel speed had only been increased by 10 to 20%. So it, like, slightly mm. helped, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And it again, was like a short-term thing, so they can't 
guess how this mm-hmm. would affect the city in the long term, but probably it would diminish the effects. Mm-hmm. Even if the speed doesn't increase that much, though, like having that many less miles traveled by cars mm-hmm. is probably good. So like the question the the viewer asked or the listener asked is about traffic mm-hmm. only, mm-hmm. not about pollution. And so when it came to traffic, then eh, right. people will eventually crowd the roads again mm-hmm. because traffic is a very tricky problem. Yeah. If you want to read more about it, Braze's paradox is a very good thing. Uh, to look into, which is the idea that even if you put more lanes in roads, if that's the ideal route, more people will just go there. And uh-huh. so the traffic will stay mm-hmm. just as busy uh-huh. um, and, and it won't reduce congestion in any way. But the flip side of that is there have been a couple cases where removing major roads have has decreased traffic significantly. Mm-hmm. There was a big motorway in Korea that was also by a polluted river. And so mm-hmm. the, the governing body of this town decided to restore the environment in that area. So they destroyed a motorway and like drivers just changed their habits because of it. And so a lot of people gave up their cars. Other people mm-hmm. uh, kept using their cars but changed their routes. A, a bunch of other people used public transportation. Like that increased the amount of public transportation. The city also beefed up its public transportation options. So people like had more options to avoid the motorway and so it seemed like good benefits all around and it's hard to tell whether this will be useful in other cities too like if destroying a major road and beefing up public transportation will really cause people to change their habits Mm -hmm. but what was interesting to me is that like it comes down to people this this study to me personally makes it seem like yes better mass transportation solutions and encouraging people to take them by either taking away their roads and saying, haha, you can't have them or de-incentivizing <laughs> cars as status symbols or whatever. Those are the ways to reduce traffic right. more so than any fancy math. Just destroy the roads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to ask the science couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out new topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at turn the page. <laughs> green 17 and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week that's what it says i know i, know. <laughs> I was excited to hear you say it <laughs> <laughs> hank buck final scores sari and sam are tied with two and hank and stefan tied with We're one the same yeah. yeah the rich get richer <laughs> <laughs> If you like this show and you want to help us out, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful. It lets us know what you like about the show. Also, you, you can leave ideas for topics uh, for future episodes. We'll be checking the iTunes reviews for those. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about us. And if you want to read more about any of today's topics, check out scishowtangents.org to find links to our sources. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. Scishow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The average fart transports about (laughs) 110 milliliters of gas. (laughs) Oh, okay.